Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. So let's get right into the Word, knowing that God will speak into our lives today. Let me just also say, since this is kind of, next weekend will be Labor Day weekend, so we kind of, this is kind of the end of our summer. Remember back at the first of the summer how we declared that we were not going to fall into the trap of the devil that, you know, some churches do. And I know that we've had, uh, 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 you know, some Sundays, a lot of people go on vacation and things like that during the summer. But we made a decision, and we've done it every summer, seeing God really do tremendous things. We said, you know, we're not going to uh, pull back any. We're going to press in. We're going to believe God for an increase in our finances, an increase in all that we're doing. And we've seen that. Y'all saw the crowd last week. We were packed out last Sunday. And, and in the early service, we had almost 100 people in the early service. Let me tell you financially what has happened. I was believing God uh, for uh, June, July, and August. Uh, for uh, $200,000 to come into the ministry in those three months because I don't believe God in, in, in pulling back, but I believe God pressing in. We ought to press in, press forward. On an average uh, summer, we have around $150,000 to $170,000. This summer, we've had close to $256,000 have come in, and we've not counted this week's offering. We will next week. But then I set a goal of giving at least $20,000, and we've given almost $31,000 this summer. Isn't that a blessing of God? But now, see, you take that and you add that to all the live streaming equipment we bought, all of the tent equipment that we bought, everything we needed for tent ministry, and you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars that God has just run through run through the church and blessed us and increased us and it is just the beginning of the harvest that we need to go in and possess the land and build the building that God has for us. Isn't that great? Right now we have over a hundred, I forget what it is, a hundred and five or a hundred and six thousand dollars in our building program. So glory to God. We're taking off. Amen. I believe, God, that that's just a tithe of what's fixing to come in, that before the end of the year, we're, we're going to be close to a million dollars in that account. Can anybody get into agreement? We've got September, October, November, December. I'm going to believe, God, that by the, by the time we get close to uh, December, we're going to have a wonderful Christmas banquet like we had last year. It's going to be another Rise and Build banquet. I'm going to believe, God, after that, when we count everything up, we're going to be close to a million dollars in that account because we're going to spend it real quick. Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? 1 Samuel 17. God just may have us give it all away and then, you know, send us about 10 million in, in one pop. You know how good God is. Amen. Now, we're going to conclude. I'm going to wrap up for uh, many weeks now. I believe close to uh, 15 or 16 weeks we've been teaching on faith, uh, both the principles of faith and faith in action. How many feel like your faith has grown a little bit? You've learned something about it. You now understand a little better about how to operate in faith. Uh, we are called to live a lifestyle of faith. Remember, faith shouldn't be something that we, we, we bring into our lives only when we have a crisis. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. That should be perpetually. Amen. Uh, don't, don't let faith sit on the shelf till you need it. You live by faith every day. Every day you live by faith. You say, well, pastor, I don't need healing. I really don't need prosperity. Then you press in and you possess something. You say, God, I, I'm going to possess something. I'm going to use my faith for something. Always use your faith. Remember, spiritual things get stronger with the using. 
Natural things wear out with the using. Your clothes, your, your, your car, your tires, all the things in the natural, they deteriorate with using. Things in the spirit get stronger. The more you pray, the stronger your prayer life gets. The more you use your faith, the stronger your faith gets. So remember, the more you use it, the stronger it gets. So use it every day, amen? So we've studied how faith, how do we get faith? If God demands that we have it, how do we get it? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Everybody say the word. You need the word. Read the word. Study the word. Meditate on the word. And come and hear the word taught and preached every Sunday, every Wednesday. Come to the DAP classes. Get into Sunday school. Get into anything you can get into to have the word of God proclaimed and preached to you. Because many times it's under that anointing of teaching, that anointing of preaching, that your heart opens up. See, you worship, you praise God, you give, you celebrate the Lord, you've been ministered to. Now your heart opens up. It's ready for the seed, the good seed of the Word of God to be planted. So it's important that you hear good teaching and preaching. Amen? And let me just help you in case you're wondering. I am a good preacher and teacher. I just I thought, if any of you were wondering that, I just want to let you know. Amen? Then confession. Everybody say confession. You know, to the, to the, to the religious world, confession only has uh, something to do with sin, confessing sin. But you've got to understand life and death are in the power of the tongue. You should confess the word of God over yourself every day, over your family, over your business, over your job, over your children, over your finances. Have a word-based confession. Don't get caught up in the way the world talks and speaks. The world speaks death. It speaks death to everything. It speaks death to relationships, to bodies, to, to finances. It's negative and it speaks death. But Jesus said the words that I speak, they are spirit and life. Learn to speak life. If you're in a problem right now, speak life to it. Speak the word of God to it. Then we found out that once you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, there comes a time when you're going to have to act on the word of God. Remember, we went and studied in the book of James. Faith without works is dead. Wilt thou know, O faith, vain man, faith without works is dead. As the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. There comes a time in which you must act on the word of God. Then stand. Everybody remember in Ephesians, we taught on standing in faith. Having done all, stand. I mean, when you've believed in your heart, you've confessed with your mouth, you've acted on the word of God, then you stand. Then we went over to Romans 5 and studied rejoicing. Amen? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse uh, 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 temptations. Amen? Uh, glory in tribulation. Learn how to glory in tribulation, and it will accelerate God's answer into your life, and you will be blessed. So, We've studied these principles. Then we took them into the Gospels. We looked at 10 lepers that got healed. We looked at blind Bartimaeus. We looked at a woman with an issue of blood. We looked at Jairus that got his daughter raised from the dead. All of them operating in the same faith we're talking about now. Jesus saying of them, thy faith has made thee whole. Thy faith has made thee whole. Thy faith has made thee whole. Recognizing and showing us as believers, there's mighty power available for every person that is willing to develop faith. Amen. Now, today, I, we're here in the book of 1 Samuel, one of my favorite passages to, to, to minister out of. The story of David and Goliath is one that transcends uh, uh, many religions, it transcends many different nations. Many, many people that don't know anything about Christianity have heard about the shepherd boy that killed the giant. It's not natural for a shepherd boy to kill a giant. It's supernatural. 
And we'll see today that, that David did it, and he did it by faith. Now notice, first of all, chapter 17 of the book of 1 Samuel. Have I told you that already? And we're going to start in verse 2. Now let me say this right up front. This will really help you. And for those that may be watching us or listening to us over the internet or get this by, uh, by CD or anything like that in our series that we'll produce, let me just emphatically say this. This is not a myth. This is not a legend. Where's my amens? This is not like Hercules and Athena. No, 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 no. This is not a Jewish myth. This is not a Jewish legend. Now, in studying this chapter before I was to teach it this week, because I've, I've taught on this many times, uh, back when we traveled, we had a tape series in which I did, what was it, a two-tape or a three-tape series? Remember what it was called? Your giant is no match for your stone. Three-tape series. Now, in the Scripture, I never saw this till the other day when I was looking the Scripture over. God gives us geographical location. Shows us exactly where it took place upon the planet. Not only that, he gave us names of all the players. Of Saul, of David, of Jesse, David's father he played a part in. Of Elab and, and, and David's older brothers. Of Goliath. He gives us all the names of everyone. So you cannot say this was a myth or a legend. God gave us a geographical, loca geographical location and the names of everybody involved. Now pick it up in verse 2. It says, And Saul of the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched in the valley of Eli and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of brass upon his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. He had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. The staff of his, the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear uh, head weighed 600 shekels of iron and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, why are ye come out, and ye, why are ye come out to set the battle in array? Am I, am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now notice verse 11. When Saul and all of Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, notice th this guy here, he's intimidating. First of all, we're going we're gonna to draw the parallel between Goliath and the giants that face us in life. Every one of us face giants, physical giants. We face financial giants in our business, at our job, in our families and marriages. Listen, giants always try to raise up. They always try to magnify themselves. They try to strengthen themselves. They intimidate. They try to control the situation. Look at this giant. Here he is. Uh, Bible theologians agree that Goliath was in between 9 and 11 feet tall. That's a big dude. I mean, that's bigger than anybody in the NBA. Amen. This is a big guy. And this ain't some beanpole. This is a big, broad show. This is a giant of a man. Not only is he a giant, he is armed with giant stuff. He's got a giant spear. He's got a giant helmet. He's got a giant coat. He's got a giant shield. He's got a giant sword. He's got giant stuff. Amen. 
He wants to intimidate. He wants to bully. And notice, the first thing he does is he's tra he tries to set the rules. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to tell you, here's how it's going to work. You, you send somebody to fight with me. You send someone to come. Why are we fight? Why are two armies coming together to fight? Why don't you just send? He knew that that was not a legitimate challenge. He knew there was no giants in the camp of Israel. The only one that was even qualified to fight him was Saul. And Saul had gotten into sin. And because he had gotten into sin, he'd lost his anointing. So he was afraid. And because leadership was afraid, the army was afraid. Let me say that again. Because leadership was afraid, army was afraid. I've got good news for you. We're not afraid around here. We're not afraid of the, of the voices that will say you can't build. We're not afraid of the voices that say you can't preach to the world. We're not afraid of the voices that say you can't do this. You can't have gospel tent crusades. You can't do this. You can't do that. We're not afraid of those voices. And we're not afraid of the giants that try to stand in front of us. They've tried for years. A giant named Ike rose up. He came out of the Atlantic. They gave him a name. He took this building and flipped it upside down, turned it 15 ways, and I guarantee you by Easter of the next year, 2009, we were back here with our hands lifted, worshiping God with no insurance money being paid out. Giants try to stop you. There's corporate giants. There's personal giants. Some of you right now, you're facing giants. You're going to get your answer this morning. You're going to go back to your home, back to your business, back to your family, back to the doctor, whatever it takes, and you're going to make sure that giant comes down in Jesus' name. We're not afraid. You're not afraid. Say, I'm not afraid. Say it again. Say it again. Hallelujah. Now let's pick it up here. Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephraimite of Bethlehem, Judea. His name was Jesse. He had eight sons, and the man went among men for old men in the days of Saul. He had a great reputation, great guy. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons that went to the battle were Elab, the firstborn, the next unto him, Abinadad, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. Verse 15, but David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, You've got to kind of do a little study in the Word to find out what this meant because if you don't, you'll just read past this verse not realizing the weight of it. David had been called by some men that were around Saul to come and live in the palace with Saul. Saul had gotten away from God. He'd gotten out of covenant with God. He'd gotten out of relationship with Samuel the prophet who was his mentor, somebody that had ministered to him. And because of that, an evil spirit had got on him. Now, if you read the Bible, it'll say an evil spirit from God. But much of the verbiage in the Hebrew is permissive. It means not from God, but allowed by God. Amen? Actually, there wasn't anything God can do. Uh, Saul stepped away from God, and when he did, a devil got on him. Let me tell you, same thing will happen to you. You step back from God, and demons will mess with you. Uh, listen, church, don't step away. Always step into God. Step into what he's doing. Step into his blessings. Step into the anointing. Don't pull back. You pull back and devils will mess with you. They'll mess with your body. They'll mess with your mind. They'll mess with your finances. No, no. You make a decision to always be pressing into the things of God. Well, now David went, and obviously David was a skilled musician. He could play the harp. We know he wrote many psalms. So obviously the Bible said when David would come and minister on his harp and sing, that Saul would be refreshed and that evil spirit would leave. Now here's Saul and the armies. They leave and they go off to the battle. Now here's David's opportunity to hang around the palace, to just kind of live life at leisure, you know, kind of eat the king's food, chase the king's maids, kind of hang around, you know, 
not do anything really important. But David was a responsible man. Everybody say responsible. Faith will make you a responsible individual. It will build your integrity. So instead of just kind of fat catting around the palace. Anybody got, anybody got a cat? Cats are like, you know, you go out and believe God for the biggest house and, and the best food. And, 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 and you know, you feed them a, a prime tuna every day in their bowl. And they'll look like, at you like, is that all you can do for me, you know? Dogs aren't like that. Dogs are cool. You know, all dogs go to heaven. Amen. <laughs> dogs are like, hey, what can I do for you next? And you beat them. They say, I forgive you. That's all right. Ain't nothing to you. <laughs> Hallelujah. But no, David, he said, I'm not going to fat cat around this palace. Remember what he wrote in Psalms 23. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. What's amazing about this story is David didn't have a divine dream of killing a giant. David didn't have a prophet that prophesied to him and say, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt go down to the battle and thou shalt defeat the giant and thou shalt be mighty. And no, he didn't have that. He didn't even have a special word from God. He was just following a path of righteousness, doing the right thing, doing what in Integrity demanded, doing what servitude demanded. So he thought, there ain't nothing to do at the palace, so I'm going to go back and I'm going to tend my father's sheep. Now you would have thought that was a step down. That's why you've got to understand promotion in the kingdom of God. Many times promotion looks like a step down. If you would have been on that road that day and David would have gone walking by, say, hey, David, where are you going? Oh, I'm going back to feed uh, Jesse's sheep and take care of his sheep. What do you mean? I thought you worked at the palace. I do work at the palace, but Saul is gone. And I'm going to go back and take care of my dad's sheep. Yeah, but David, you were promoted to a greater possession, a position than just being a shepherd. No, but I'm doing the responsible thing, that which integrity and faith demands, I'm going to do it. Because if I do it, I'm on a righteous path. If I'm on a righteous path, I can kill giants. He didn't, even know, he, didn't even, he didn't even know that he was going to kill a giant. But that was I threw that in there. If you're on a righteous path, you can kill giants. It's hard to kill a giant when you're not on a righteous path. So here goes David. David returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening. Morning and evening. Morning and evening. Forty days. How many know the devil's persistent? Day after day. You're not going to make it. The sickness and disease is going to kill you. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. Listen, it doesn't matter how long he's done it. He's fixing to go down. Jesse said, Jesse said unto David, his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephath of parched corn, these ten loaves, and run to the camp for thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses up, up under their captain and their thousands, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Take their pledge means see what you can do for them. See what they want. Now Saul and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Eli fighting with the Philistines. David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, took and went as Jesse commanded him, came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight, shouted for the battle. And Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army, verse 22. And David left his carriage in the hand of a keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brother. Now, notice this. Everybody say character. Faith will build into you godly character. Here's this kid. Now, everybody knows. We know because we've got the word on it. This is the guy that when Samuel came to the house to anoint the next king of Israel, this is the guy that got the oil. 
This is the guy whom the oil poured out on. Listen, that was a supernatural, it's not a natural event. That he would take that cruise of oil, it had a wax stopper in it. He would hold it over the head of each, of each son. And that stopper would stay there. And he would know that's not God's choice. That's not God's choice. That's not God's choice. He went through every brother. That's not God's choice. That's not God's choice. Then he said, you got any more sons? He said, yeah, I've got the youngest son, which was basically just a little bit higher than a servant. He wasn't even invited to come into the dinner. But when, but when Samuel the prophet took the cruise of oil and held it over David's hand, that wax stopper melted by the Holy Ghost and all that anointing oil flowed down over this young kid. And he's standing there smelling like God. So everybody knew that. So he could have rode on that one event. Let me say something, church. You cannot ride on one great event in your life. He could have rode on that one great event. If he did, he would have never become King David. And you cannot use the great events of your life against people. Well, I'm the anointed. I'm the appointed. I got a prophecy. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. Listen, put that up on the shelf and pray about it until God brings it to pass. In the meantime, be like David. Be a person of responsibility. Go back and take care of the father's sheep. And then when it's time, when your father, see, he went and placed himself under, under parental authority. When he did, it wasn't God. It wasn't a prophecy. It wasn't Samuel. It was his dad said, his father, his earthly father said, you take these cheeses, you take these loaves, and you go to your brethren, and you take care of them. He could have said, but wait, dad, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wasn't I the one that got the oil? Wasn't I the one that was, he didn't say that. He went, and what's the first thing he did? Left the sheep with a keeper. Why? They belonged to his dad. He did that which was responsible. Then he got down to the battle. Could you imagine the excitement of that? Those two armies coming together, combat, men were dying, things were happening. He could have forgot all about his father's carriage. Amen. There's dad's brand new Cadillac parked on the road. He let him drive it down there to the battle. But instead he did what was responsible and said, hey, keeper of the carriage, if that battle starts coming this way, you get that carriage out of here because I don't want dad's stuff messed up. Then he ran down to the battle. The Bible said he saluted them. He began to yell for the battle. Go for it. Kill them. Do all that. You know, amen. And notice what it says here in verse 23. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion of the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words, that which we just read. And David heard them. And all of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled. Now, can you imagine the scene of all these soldiers, these men of war, running from Goliath? They fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel, have you said, have you seen the man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel he has come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. No more taxes of any kind. And David said to the men that stood by, stood, stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine? Now notice this phrase very closely. And taketh away the reproach from Israel. Now let me say this. I, if this makes you mad, I pray that you hear my heart this morning. If it makes you mad, get healed of this. Understand that anything that goes against our covenant is a reproach to God. Get your healing. You stay in there. You press in. You pray. You do what it takes. Get your healing. Prosper. 
Don't let the devil destroy you through poverty. The enemy attacks your business. You rise up. You get aggressive. The Bible says the kingdom of God suffereth violent. The violent take it by force. Listen, this all started out by David letting things happen. Others were controlling his destiny till God got him to the place where he could control it. He had to let things happen till he could make things happen. Some of you have sat on a dream. Some of you sat on a vision. Some of you sat on things. You've said, I know it's of God, but it's have, it has not happened. Rise up in your spirit. It is a reproach. Amen. Let me say it is a reproach. Not a reproach to Island Church. Not a reproach to, but look what Jesus did to get you the provision you need. Look what Jesus did to get you the finances, the success in your business, all that you've dreamed of. He died. He suffered. The greatest confrontation in the universe took place on the cross. So that you could have a, I see every sick person as a reproach to that which Jesus has done. That's why I do everything I can do to get them healed. I see every person struggling with poverty. I see that as a reproach to our covenant. That's why I do, I, I do everything I can do to prosper, to see them prosper. I watch every business. I see every person in their job. I believe, God, you should be promoted. Be blessed. You should be the head, not the tail. Above, not beneath. You should lend and not borrow. Is anybody with me? Are you getting quiet on me this morning? You ought to be shouting. No. Who shall take away the reproach? You shall. You're going to defeat your giant. You're going to rise up. You're going to come against this thing. You're going to make a decision to see it defeated. Quit waiting around for somebody to do it for you. Do it yourself. You're anointed. You're empowered. You're a person of faith. You rise up in your spirit and you do it. He got the whole army. He got the whole army running and crying and afraid. David says, who shall take away the reproach from Israel? Then he says this, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this uncovered? Who is this sickness and disease trying to attack my body? Jesus has defeated you. What is this poverty and lack trying to come into my life? Jesus has defeated you. What is this foul demon trying to get into my marriage? Trying to torment my children? Try rise up in your faith. You've got a covenant with Almighty God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rise up. Get aggressive. Mm-mm-mm. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered after this manner, saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth it. Now, notice verse 26. He's all, listen, here it goes. And Elab, the eldest brother, when he heard what was spake unto the men, Elab's anger was kindled against David and said, Why comest thou down hither? Whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart. For thou, out, thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, what have I, what have I done? Is there not a cost? Now, let, let, let's think about David just for a moment. Brother Elip, if we don't win this thing and do it quick, daddy loses everything. Mama loses everything. Our sisters become prostitutes. Our brothers go into slavery. We have no more family. That's it. The cause of our family, there is a cause. Nationally, aren't we the children of God? Aren't we the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Didn't Joshua come into this land and defeat all of the giants? 
What about being delivered out of Egypt through the ministry of Moses? Look at our history. Isn't our nation a cause? What about God? Jehovah. What about our covenant? Who is this uncircumcised Phyllis? We have a cause. What about your cause? Well, Pastor, it doesn't I, I can live with this disease. What? Is there not a cause? Well, I can live with the poverty. Is there not a cause? What about, what about your personal cause? The disease could kill you. The poverty makes you live in misery. Demons torment your family. Come on, church. Is there not a cause? What about the cause of what we're doing here as a people? As island church. You need to be healed. You need to prosper. You need to rise up. You need to find your place in God. And no giant needs to stop you because we are coming together as a people to demonstrate the defeat of Satan on this island and to show everybody that God is a good God. What about the cause of the hour in which we live? God has called us to be alive in the last of the last days. Paul would have loved to have been here. Moses would have loved to have been here. James and John and Peter, they would have loved, they would have given up their position to you to be where you're at right now. Is there not a cause? Mm-mm-mm. And he turned towards another and spake after the same manner. The people answered him again in the for, unto the former manner. And when the words which were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of thy servant. Because thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. You know, he didn't say the next king will do it. He wasn't trying to prove anything other than that he was a servant of God. And the servant to men. Thy servant, thy servant. You'll see it over and over in the, in, in the message. Will go and fight with the Philistine. Saul said to David, they're not able to go. There are always those that will judge you. At this time, most theologians believe David was approximately age 17. There's always those that will judge you because of your inexperience and your youth or your, your, your youth in the things of God, not knowing so much about God. Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath, he hath defiled the armies of the living God. David said moreover, now listen to this. David said moreover, the Lord. So he's not taking credit, see. What he's saying is this. I have faced some problems. I have faced some lions. I have faced some bears. And when they rose up, I did something. And when I did something, my God did something. Some of you need to hear what I just said. I said, some of you need to hear what I just said. You're waiting for God to do something. God's waiting for you. You've had a lion, you've had a bear, you've got a giant roaring at you saying he's going to destroy, he's going to do this or that. You've got to rise up and say, no, I will do, I will do, I will do because I know when I will do, my God will do. The Lord that delivered me. See, he's taking no credit. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go. Now, can you imagine a king of a nation giving the authority of a nation to a 17-year-old shepherd boy? Why did he do that? Saul saw something 
he recognized something he used to possess, but compromise, sin, amen, apathy, complacency, doing it his own way, got him out of the anointing. And he said, there's only, way, only one way anybody's going to win this battle, and he's going to have to have an anointing. And here David stood with the anointing upon him. He said, what was his anointing? He had faith in his God. His faith was his anointing. Uh, you're missing a good opportunity. Some of you are waiting to feel tingling all of it. Oh, I've got it. No, no, no. Faith is knowing. Faith is knowing. I know I'm saved. I know I'm delivered. I know I'm born again. I know I'm, I don't care what my body's telling me. I know I'm healed. I don't care what my pocketbook's telling me. I know I'm prosperous. I know in whom I believe. I'm persuaded that he is able. Come on, church. Saul armed David with his armor, put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded a sword upon his armor, and he essayed not to go, for not yet proved it. David said to Saul, I cannot go with these things, for I have not proved them. And David took them off them. You don't need pastor's faith. You don't need the televangelist's faith. You need what you have. And let me just say something. You've got something. Every one of you have something. Every one of you have a faith on the inside of you, whether you're releasing it and acting upon it and operating it, that's, that's between you and God. But you've, if you've been sitting in this church, I have been, you'd have to sit here with your fingers in your ears not to hear what I've been teaching you. You've got faith in you. Let me say that again. You have faith in you. Say it, say it. I have faith in me. Say it again. I have Faith in me. So you don't need my armor. You don't need some other preacher's armor. You've got your own, quote, stones. We'll see that in just a minute. Your own rocks. Now notice, he is saying not to go. I hadn't proved this. He took his staff in his hand. He chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his script, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Everybody say, he drew near. Notice the aggression in him. He's not looking to hide. He's not looking. No, no. He just started walking toward the Philistine. Now, the first thing he did is he took what he had proved. He's got a staff. He's got a slingshot. So as he, come, he, came, across, he came across the brook, and he looked. And in the brook where the water had been running across the stones were beautiful, nice, rounded stones. So he picked up five. Everybody say five. five. Now, you know why he picked up five? That's how many fit in the pouch. People always try to over-spiritualize things. That's why they get in trouble. Amen. He picked up one, two, three, four, five, six don't fit. I'm taking five. But his act in picking up the stones was this. If I miss the first one, I have another stone. If I miss the second one, I have another stone. If I have a third one, faith does not fear failure. If I miss the third time, I got another stone. If I miss the fourth time, I've got another stone. If I miss the fifth time, I know where the brook is. Don't over-spiritualize things. You'll never walk in faith. Keep it practical. Faith is a practical force from God. So here he goes. Now notice verse 41. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. Notice the Philistine or the, or the giant or the devil, however you want to say, he matched the aggression of David. You think, well, I, I, I came to church. I thought the devil would leave me alone. <laughs> no, you're just, he, he, the fight's just starting, amen. 
He said, the Philistine game came and drew near to David, and the man that bare his shield went before him. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He was but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance. The Philistine said unto him, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Now, in this shows the stupidity of the devil. The stupidity of the giant in your life. Listen, the devil has never been a winner. I said the devil has never been a winner. He got kicked out of heaven, he lost. He got defeated on the earth, he lost. Jesus defeated him on the cross, he lost. We defeat him in our lives, he is a loser. People say, oh, don't say that, don't say that. The devil might hear you. He's the very dude we want to hear it. He is defeated, he is under our feet, and he always makes mistakes. Here's this, here's this giant. He's standing in front of David. He's cursing him. He's belittling him. He's doing, then he begins to curse him by his demon gods, by Dagon and all those. He begins to curse David. And when he did that, he stepped across a covenant line because God told Abraham, I will bless them that bless you. I will curse them that curse you. And when David started, when, when Goliath started cursing David, he committed suicide. He's cursing David by his gods. I can see David going, I can kill you with a feather now. You've cursed me. My covenant says, you bless me, you're blessed. You curse me, you're cursed. You just brought a curse on yourself. Sickness and disease, when it steps across that covenant bloodline, you ought to rise up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. By his stripes, I am healed. Poverty and light tries to step across that blessing line. You say, no, 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 no. My God supplies all of my needs. Dumb devil. He missed his chance. If he, wanted to, if he wanted to live, he should have turned and run when he saw David coming. He should have known. That's a trap. That's a trap right there, man. 17-year-old kid coming at me swinging, slinging a stone. And it's, that's a trap if I ever seen one. I've heard about these people, but the devil never does that. He's stupid. Look at verse 45. Look at the first three words. How many like to get the last word? Anybody like the last word? If you'll walk in faith, you'll get the last word. I like this. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear. With a shield did I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defiled. Now listen to this. Here's how faith talks. Here's how it talks. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. I will smite thee and take thy head from thee. I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. So that everybody know that I, so, the, so that everybody know that I'm king. No, no. So that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. 
Now you'd have thought, you'd have thought the guy would have took off. Here he goes, and it came to pass. When the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to, you know what, it, you know what that devil was doing? He said, you got the talking done, buddy. You know, you, when an argument starts, there's all the yak, 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 yak. Then all of a sudden, the yakking stops. And that's what happened. And David had gone from letting things happen to he said, I'm fixing to make something happen, buddy. I'm not wondering if it's going to happen. I'm not hoping it's going to happen. I got God in my heart. I got a covenant with Almighty God. I am part of the nation of Israel. I am of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My fathers were delivered from Egypt. Joshua, my elder, elder, elder brother, he brought us in and we whipped giants all over this land. And, and you know, if I was going to write a, a scripture, if, they, if, if the Lord asked me to write a scripture in the Bible, I think I'd write something like... Uh, uh, no weapon formed against me would. Maybe it's already in there. Amen. So here comes the enemy. He, he's coming at David. And it came when the Philistine arose, came dry, nigh to meet David. That David hid under a rock, began to shake because he thought just his confession would work. No, David hastened and ran. And ran toward the army, toward the army, toward the, he's fixing to wade through a giant and go to an army. To meet the Philistine. He put his hand in his bag, took this stone and slang it, smote the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sunk down. He fell upon his face to the earth. So, I like these three words, so David prevailed. And so will you. Just put your name in there. I will prevail. I will prevail. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling, stone. Smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Now here's the problem. You don't hit a guy in the head with a rock. When I was in the second grade, I was standing at a bridge throwing rocks in the water. And I reached back and threw a rock, and a guy stepped out from under the bridge, and it hit him right in the back of the head. He was a third grader who was the biggest bully in our school. I ran home so fast and hid under the bed. I didn't know. I was so afraid. I went to school the next day, and that guy had a big old bandage on the back of his head with a big blood spot in the middle of it. He never knew to this day. I hope he's not here, and I hope he's not watching by internet. Amen. I confess it was me. Amen. But I knew that guy through high school. He was mad in high school. He walked around like this. When you hit people in the head with rocks, they're not happy. David had just hit somebody with a rock and was on a field of confrontation, not prepared. To complete the battle. Everybody say, but God. He's always got provision for those that are willing. He's always got provision for those that are aggressive. He's always got the proof for those that oppress in and walk that path of righteousness. In the, in the sheath of Goliath was, guess what? A perfect implement. A perfect tool for cutting off giants' heads. A giant sword. 
Months before, years before, Philistines were known for their ability to work with metal. Whenever you got things sharpened or battle implements made, they always went to the Philistines. Here's this sword. This blacksmith, he's forming this sword. He's getting it ready to destroy God's people. He's getting it ready to give to a giant. Little did he know that he was preparing an implement of destruction that once it got into the hands of God's man, it would destroy the adversary. Don't be afraid. You press in. You say, I don't have everything yet. What you need may be on that field of confrontation. Mm-mm-mm. David therefore ran, stood upon the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they came to the valley and to the gates of Ekron and wounded the Philistines and fell down by the way unto Shemraram and unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they spoiled their tents and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. Now notice this. David became confrontational. Now let me say this. We are, we are not conditioned to be confrontational. We, are, we get sick, we, we let the doctor confront it. We, we get a financial problem, we let the banker, the credit card, the, the, the credit card, we let them confront it. We get depressed, we like the psychiatrist to confront that. We have family problems, we want the family counselor to confront that. We have the spiritual problem, we want the pastor to confront that. Are you with me? But you've got to make a decision in your heart and in your life to become a confrontational Christian. You confront that which has come against you. If you've got sin or weakness or habits in your life that are not right, you confront them. I'll pray for you. I'll minister to you. you I'll teach you the word, but you rise up in your faith. I don't care if they've been a giant in your life for 30 or 40 years. You rise up and you say, you stinking, lying giant, you're not going to rule my life another day. You make a decision. Confrontation is not comfortable. That's why we can market it. That's why we can market those that will confront things for us. Do it for me. Do it for me. Do it for me. Because it's not comfortable for me to do it. It's not pretty. Confrontation is not pretty. Here comes David. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's holding. Now think of what he's holding in his hand. It's a head. The neck is cut. The windpipe, the veins and arteries, the blood is dripping. This look on the face, I don't know if his eyes are still open or not, but this, this ugly, grotesque, but it's a sign of something. That someone was confrontational. That someone was of faith. That someone remembered the covenant. So he would hold it up. Now to everybody else, it was ugly, it was grotesque, but to them Jews, to those Jewish people, They'd hold them up and the people would cry and sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed him. And it was a great sign of victory. Holding up that head. It was their symbol of victory that day. We have a symbol. We wear it on necklaces. We put it on our literature. We put it on our churches. In our, it's called the cross. It was the greatest place of confrontation in the universe. 
upon the cross for us because he loved us so much. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we're healed. The blood flowed. Jesus was tortured. It was ugly, but on the third day he walked out of the tomb. Victorious over death, hell, the grave, sickness, disease, addiction, affliction, depression, you name it. If it's an enemy of humanity, Jesus defeated it. And when we hold up the cross today, there are those that think it's foolish. There are those that think it's stupid and archaic to be so dumb that you think you might need a God. But to us that are saved. The Bible says the preaching of the cross unto them that are perished foolishness. But to us that are saved, it is the power of God. You're a person of faith. You're a person that has the force of God on the inside of you. Your human spirit is not of the human family anymore. It's of God's family. Your DNA pulsates, not your physical DNA. Your spiritual DNA pulsates with the attributes of God Almighty. That's in you. You're not some poor little weakling struggling like a worm in the dirt trying to get through this life experience. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the earth. Quit cowering under the weight of sin and problems and situations and rise up and become confrontational and destroy the giants that rise up against you. And make a decision. I will live a confrontational life. I'm not going to be weak and afflicted and addicted and just barely get through life. I'm going to rise up as a man or a woman of God. And I'm going to take faith. I'm going to cut a path in this lifetime of victory and joy and peace and prosperity and health. And if I die before the rapture of the church, they will know that I'm one of those people that's in Hebrews chapter 11. That the world was not worthy of. Because I lived by faith the way God said to live. And I lived in victory in everything that I put my hand to prospered in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Lift your hands up and worship God. Father, we glorify you this morning. We bless your name. Lord, put a steel rod in our backbones this morning as a people. Give us boldness. Give us strength by your spirit that we might rise up and be the people of God that you've called us to be. Do the exploits you've called us to do. To rise up against the giants of life and say, no, you're not going to steal from us another moment. We're the people of God. We're the people of the faith of God. And we refuse to be defeated in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to get real serious with you for just a moment. You can play games with life all you want to, but reality will show up on your front door. Some of you need to be right with God this morning. You're not living right. You're not doing right. Don't play that game in life. God wants to equip you. He wants to instruct you. He wants to help you. He wants to anoint you. He wants to cause you to be a supernatural individual in a natural world. Quit playing with sin. Quit playing with unrighteousness. Get off your path and get back on the path of righteousness this morning. The light is shining for you this morning. The time to come back to God is now. The time to do the will of God is now. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm not living right. I'm not doing right. You may have never given your life to Jesus. You never, may have, have never given your heart to the Lord. You may have never been born again. Maybe you've been born again. Maybe you've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Maybe you've served God mightily at one time, but you've fallen away. The fellowship has been broken. But I want you to know this morning, Saint, His relationship with you has never been broken. That's why He's drawn you to this place this morning. To speak a word into your spirit that you might rise up. 
It's time for God's people to rise up. People have played church in our nation. We've gone user-friendly, seeker-friendly. We've taken out the blood. We've taken out the power. We're not doing that at Island Church anymore. We've never done it in the first place. But we're going the other direction. We're going the direction of the power. We're going the direction of the anointing. We're going the direction of the glory. We're not looking for a corporate church that does well business-wise and finance. We're looking for the glory of God to fall in our midst. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm not living right. I'm not doing right. I want to be right with God. My spirit is stirred. I need to be right with God. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up boldly and unashamedly right now. Anyone at all, don't be afraid. We got one hand over here. Anyone else? Anyone else? Lift your hand. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. If God is dealing with your heart right now, lift your hand up high. I see that other hand. I see that other hand. You can put them down after you've raised them. Anyone else? There's three that have been bold enough to raise their hand. I know God's dealing with some hearts right now, so I'm just going to take a moment and do this. If that's you, boldly raise your hand. Say, I'm going to get right with God. I see that other hand. You can put it down. I see another hand. That's five that have raised their hands. I know there's a couple more. I know God's dealing. That's why your heart's beating in your chest like that. That's the Holy Ghost of God telling you, do what that preacher's saying. Do what he's saying. Get right with God. Quit living in apathy and complacency. Rise up and defeat your giants. One more time. This is the last time. I see your hand, sir. You can put it down. I'm going to look one more time. If that's you, you be bold, you be a man, you be a woman, you be courageous. Raise your hand right now in Jesus' name. Anyone else that has not raised their hand? I see that hand. Anyone else? Quickly. Anyone else? Now everybody look this way. We love you. We care about you. We don't condemn you. I'm fixing to ask the church to stand. They're going to give every person that raised their hand a great big applause. In so doing, they are exhorting you. Go down there. You've heard the word. You've raised your hand. Now go down there and pray with pastors. Settle it. Get it right. And go kill your giants. Church, stand on your feet. Give them a big hand clap. Every person that raised your hand. Come on. Don't be ashamed. Come stand right here, right now. Come on. Right here, right now. Come stand right here, right now. There you go. Right there, brother. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.